Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. The world changed in so many ways during the pandemic. Schools pivoted to remote learning, public events moved from in-person to virtual spaces, and activities that put people in close quarters called for masks and social distance. Another thing that changed during that time happened in courts and jails, specifically reducing jail populations. How did that happen? Judges, prosecutors, and the jails themselves adopted policies moving away from what's called pre-trial detention. In doing so, people awaiting trial on charges were not sent to jail. Instead, they were placed under supervision. Those changes to the court systems are the subject of two new reports from the MacArthur Foundation. The researchers are trying to understand the impact of reducing jail populations and whether those changes can be connected to the startling spike in crime that was seen in many major cities, including the St. Louis region, during the pandemic. Here to talk about these reports and what they indicate at a moment when St. Louis leaders are grappling with calls for a more tough-on-crime approach, we welcome Beth Hubner. Beth is currently the new director of criminology and criminal justice at Arizona State University. But before taking up that position this January, Beth spent more than a decade at the University of Missouri-St. Louis as a criminal justice professor. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you are co-director of the Safety and Justice Challenge in St. Louis County, and you were invited, or that is, involved, in collecting the data for these new national reports. What questions are these reports trying to answer? Yes, we have been funded by the MacArthur Foundation in St. Louis County since about 2015. And so these comprehensive reports, which include St. Louis County and many other counties, look at um, how the jail populations have changed before and during the pandemic. And then, most importantly, looked at do people who who were released during the pandemic and even before, do they come back to jail? Um, Mm -hmm. And what is the relationship, particularly with violent crime? Now, St. Louis was one of 21 cities whose public safety data was analyzed for each of these reports. Beth, what were some of your major takeaways from those reports? Sure. Um, As many know, we do see some increases in crime in the St. Louis County region. We have seen that decline since. So many cities, we did see that spike during um, COVID-19. But I think what's important about the report um, are two things, is that, again, in these reports, we document that most people are in jail awaiting trial, and that's often because they can't pay bail. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, what we see is that um, most people are released from jail and do not come back. Um, About 25% of people approximately do come back, and only 2% of those people are rebooked on a violent charge. So when we released 
um, people during COVID and even before some of these reforms, we're not see them going, we don't see them going into the community and committing violent crimes. So in many ways, the reports argue that these are two different phenomena. Mm-hmm. The changes in uh, the jail are separate from some of those increases in violent crime. And can you remind us uh, the time period that these reports cover? Sure. It, it covers um, the times between 2015, um, when the project started, up until 2020. Okay. Now, we'd like to invite you uh, to the conversation. If you have a question or comment about this topic, please give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpr.org. I'd like to bring another voice into our conversation. Joining us in studio is Mike Milton, the founder and executive director of the Freedom Community Center in St. Louis. Mike, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You've worked for years as an activist, and a lot of that work has involved things like ending cash bail Mm -hmm. and pretrial detention. What do you make of these reports' findings? Were you surprised? Yeah, I mean, I was not surprised at all. Advocates and organizers have been beating this drum since 2017. We know that pretrial incarceration does not improve public safety. Mm -hmm. In fact, we argue that pretrial incarceration exacerbates people's conditions um, and puts them in in devastating situations that cause them to do devastating things. So, in fact, we argue that pretrial incarceration actually hurts public safety. Can you remind us all, what is pretrial incarceration, this, yeah. you know, the, um, this whole thing about cash bail, what is that? Yeah, so people are charged of a crime, not convicted, which they're supposed to be presumed innocent before they're proven guilty. And so often the judges in the, the circuit attorney office makes recommendations and also uh, determinations to um, keep somebody locked up because they view them as a public safety risk or a risk of flight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you and your organization, again, Freedom Community Center, mm-hmm. do a lot of what you call court watching, which mm-hmm. is just what it sounds like. You observe a lot of court proceedings in St. Louis and St. Louis County. Mike, tell us about what you witnessed uh, changing during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, we started Court Watch a little bit after the pandemic in 2021. Um, but what we've seen historically is that um, the circuit attorney's office advocate for or recommend bond more than 86% of the no bond allowed for more than 80, 86% of the time. And the judges hover around um, 40 to 50 to 60% of, of sentencing people on no bond allowed. And that's, specific, that's, that's very important to know because people in St. Louis City, specifically, um, the average length of stay inside of the jail is about 300 days. And so people are incarcerated with no option to, of release mm-hmm. uh, for almost more than a year before they're convicted of a crime. Right, before they're convicted of a yes, crime. Yes, they're technically innocent. And have you seen these changes kind of being rolled back? Yes, um, which is consistent with, with what's happening across the country. Um, specifically, over the last couple months, we've seen an increase and no bond allowed both from the judges and an increase of recommendations from the circuit attorney's office as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as you're seeing this happen, um, is there anything that you have been seeing? Um, we'll, we'll come back to this. I'd like to hear a, an anecdote maybe about um, how this is affecting people sort of in the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. 
We'll come back to that. We need to take a quick break now, and we'll be back shortly with Mike Milton of the Freedom Community Center and criminologist Beth Hubner. We're talking about two new reports based on public safety data from St. Louis and other major metro areas around the country. The reports analyze changes made to the courts and jails during the pandemic and whether those changes are linked to a spike in crime. Before the break, we were talking about what's changed since those pandemic rules ended. And with us to discuss these reports are criminologist Beth Hubner and Mike Milton, the founder and executive director of the Freedom Community Center. Mike, before we were um, before that break, we were talking about um, what has happened. How did the pandemic changes affect the people changing or facing? charges. Can you provide an in-real-life um, illustration to bring us sort of the personal level? Sure. I mean, we have so many stories, devastating stories, um, people, especially people who were locked up in pretrial. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about one in which he was locked up for 18 months. Mm-hmm. 18 months he was in, in, in St. Louis City Justice Center. Not even, con- you know, considering the conditions of the Justice Center, which is another conversation for another day, but um, not only that, but his case was ultimately dismissed when he when he was released. Um, so he did 18 months in jail mm-hmm. for a crime that he wasn't even good for. And he lost his job. He literally lost his housing. I remember um, picking him up and taking him to his house, and he went up to put his key in the door, and the landlord had actually changed the locks on his, on his house and said, until you pay me back all the back rent, you can't have your belongings and you can no, no longer live here. He literally lost yeah. everything. So that's the harms of pretrial detention. And so the the policy changes that were made during the pandemic prevented things like that, situations like that, from happening. Beth, the courts here are no longer using their pandemic policies. Does this mean things have gone back to the way they were before COVID? I can only speak to the St. Louis County Jail, but the St. Louis County Jail, uh, actually the population did increase during COVID because there were no trials. So just like Mike said, people waited years in jail waiting for those trials. Now that the courts are back open and in regular business, the jail population has gone down, but then we've seen it kind of come up a little bit in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of these policies do continue given the successes that we've seen, um, but then the jail has continued to go up um, in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. And Mike, you have something too. Yeah, I was just going to add to Beth. Uh, I mean, it's actually pretty staggering what we're seeing since January and December, both in St. Louis Mm -hmm. City. There's been about 250 people. uh, I'm sorry, St. Louis County, 250 people in St. Louis City. There's been about 100 plus people more. So we're seeing an increase in the population for both jails. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. the thing I would like to underscore here is that these are you're talking about individuals, but these individuals are connected to. Right, right. What differences do you see in the way St. Louis City and St. Louis County approached these changes? Mike, you mm-hmm. first. Yeah, I mean, 
there are differences, but all, there are similarities. I, I just want to highlight that this is the, the function of the legal system. The legal system recalibrates and is rooted in racial violence and white supremacy. And so the only option that it provides people is just incarceration, both pretrial and, po- and throughout the, every junction of the legal system. And so we can highlight the, the, the changes of the courts via, you know, um, via, you know, COVID. But in general, the legal system is just filling up his jails again, which is def- def- definitely de- devastating. Mm-hmm. Beth, what have you seen uh, in, in the difference in approaches between county and city? Um, I think there's, as Mike mentioned, there's a lot of similarities. Um, we did in both jails see some declines, but see those increases again. I think there's been some trepidation around pretrial release. Even with um, all the programming that's in place, like Mike provides with his amazing organization, um, there's just a lot of fear, again, about people on pretrial committing new crimes. We've had some very um, very devastating stories about people committing crimes um, in St. Louis. And so once we have, you know, one case that went wrong, then oftentimes judges, prosecutors, the whole system, it's not just one actor, um, are very um, are very often reticent to let to release people, and that's where we see no bond in the city, and we see very high bonds mm-hmm. in the county. And so, in this discussion, you have alluded to one of the very high profile uh, tragedies that mm-hmm. occurred, and, and that was the recent tragedy around seventeen year old Janae Edmondson in February. Just as a reminder to to folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a volleyball player who lost her legs after being hit by a car in downtown St. Louis. And it turned out that the person who hit her was out on bond for a felony charge for stealing a gun. He had violated the terms of his probation more than 50 times. So St. Louis is still reacting to that tragedy, particularly in calls for uh, a more tough-on-crime approach, which we alluded to earlier. Um, and that's an approach that proponents say could have prevented the tragedy. Now, both of you, um, with your perspectives on this, and, and Beth, to you, you have all this data now with these reports that say that basically filling up jails does not keep us safe. Mm-hmm. But in this one case, uh, it really impacted the entire public safety discussion here. So can you give us some perspective as a researcher, like what do cases like this show us? Sure. Um, and we know that judges, prosecutors, um, and, and a little bit the public defender, but um, are, you know, they're influenced by politics, by people in the community, um, you know, are elected for a lot of these positions. And so they are very concerned. My, you know, from a researcher standpoint, we know that these sorts of events are very rare. And as Mike alluded to with his with his uh, discussion of some of his clients, we know that people who are detained pretrial are more likely to recidivate, lose their jobs, have poor income for many, many years to come, have challenges with family. And so I understand the desire to keep people in jail because it feels like that person will be then the community will be more safe, but we know that most people are released. Well, all people are released from jail eventually, and that putting them in jail doesn't make them less likely to drive recklessly. I'm, I'm thinking maybe Mike can discuss some of the great work he's done with restorative justice. What we need to do instead is talk to individuals and be like, 
Do you understand what happened because of this crime? Mm-hmm. Can we work to prevent it in the future? By, by, by just incarcerating people and having them sit there um, with often very little programming does nothing to, to reduce their crime in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Riverfront Times published a story just this week quoting you, Mike, and another court watcher at Freedom Community Center. And you said that prosecutors and judges are now acting on fear of backlash if someone they let free on bond commits a a heinous crime. Tell us about what you are seeing. Yeah, I mean, the quote speaks for itself. That's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing um, the legal system responding to the tragedy and the narratives, like we have said. Um, And that's actually happening across the country with rollbacks around bail specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, St. Louis is not, you know, excluded from that. But what we know specifically um, is that what keeps us safe is when we actually address the root causes of why violence happens in the first place, Mm -hmm. which means adequate health care, which means quality public education, which means uh, ability to get to have a job and keep money and and pay for themselves and provide for their families. And so what we're seeing um, in the jails, I mean, well, in the courts specifically, is that we're we're letting uh, this narrative and this fear mongering. Um, drive our policies around pe- around our courts, which is leading to people being incarcerated for long periods of time, which is just absolutely unfair. The last thing I'll, I'll, I'll add is that it's absolutely untrue. When we look at the data um, at, in violent crime in St. Louis City, since two, this is the lowest that violent crime has been since 2014, and at the same time in St. Louis City, this is the lowest that, that the population has been, the jail population has been. Mm-hmm. So we're actually seeing the reverse that more people out on the streets when they're connected to services, when they get jobs, when they're able to have um, access to their families and such, actually continue to do things that, that, that are healthy and good and, and um, contribute to society and, and to public safety. Mm-hmm. We're talking about two new reports based on public safety data from St. Louis and other metro areas. The reports analyze changes made to the courts and jails during the pandemic and whether those changes are linked to a spike in crime. We're talking with Mike Milton of the Free Freedom Community Center, and criminologist and professor Beth Hubner. Beth, uh, a spokesman for St. Louis City's Circuit Court, responded to the Riverfront Times. Um, again, that was where you were uh, mm-hmm. quoted, Mike, recently, and the claims that you made. Uh, they pushed back, arguing that the six weeks since the Janae Edmondson crash isn't a long enough time um, to draw conclusions. Now, St. Louis jail records do show an increase from 534 people in February to, as of today, 616. Mm -hmm. Beth, is six weeks, is that enough time? um, And is there enough information to identify a trend? I mean, it's definitely a beginning of a trend. And I think that the dashboard data that the count that the city provides, along with, um, you know, Mike's observations, Um, is really important. And so whether statistically we could test, uh, I'm not sure, but I think it's important to bring these trends or the beginnings of these trends to policymakers' attention because once it has gotten to six months, a year, again, we have some of these collateral consequences for individuals and families. So we want to keep a close watch on the data um, right away. And so that's what Mike and, and members of the county are doing to address this before um, it gets any worse. Mm-hmm. So with these reports, it seems like there's an underlying question that's also being addressed. And that question is, was there a connection between these jail reforms and the really startling spike in crime during the pandemic, which included 
a spike in St. Louis. So there's a, a correlation. But do we have a, a picture that's any clearer about what caused that spike? Uh, Beth? Um, I don't think we have a picture that's any clearer. Um, I think we can we can say with this report that it wasn't tied directly to the reduction in, in jail populations. Um, there's a lot of factors. So many things changed during COVID, you know, lockdowns. Um, we had um, many, uh, many police killings of black citizens. Um, you know, that affected the way people trust the police. Um, and so there was a lot of factors that happened at that time. And I don't know if, you know, if we'll ever be able to fully entangle what happened at that time. But as Mike mentioned now, crime has since declined. And so I think that's where we want to look going forward. Mm-hmm. Mike. Yeah, I mean, COVID was a, a particularly stressful time for communities, especially uh, communities of color. People lost their jobs, lost their family members. It's the same thing that we were saying earlier that if we want, if we care about violence in our communities, we must address the key, the, the roots. And, and what COVID and what you may have seen with the rise in crime is that people were desperate and devastated. It's the same thing. And so I think COVID was, shows us that, again, um, that the, the keys to us being safe is that we have to have um, relationship and ability to take care of ourselves and our communities and our families. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, as we finish this, Mike, we mentioned earlier, your organization is involved in restorative justice. Yeah. So as an alternative to using jail, briefly tell us what it is about that approach makes it a better use of resources. Oh, my goodness. I can go on and on about this, but I'll be quick. Okay. So the reason why restorative justice works is because, one, restorative justice calls you to an account, and we believe that... Uh, that true change and transformation happens when we are accountable and it doesn't happen in punishment. With accountability, that means that I am um, repairing the harm designed by the survivor. That means that I'm acknowledging what I've done and the consequences that come of it. That means that I'm doing the hard work to never do that harm again. That means that I'm not just saying sorry, that I'm showing you that I'm sorry, mm-hmm. right? And so those are the things that actually survivors have want. They want to be safe and they want to know that this will never happen to another person again. Mike Milton is the founder and executive director of the Freedom Community Center in St. Louis, and Beth Hubner is a criminologist and director of criminology and criminal justice at Arizona State University. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you so much. To learn more about the two MacArthur Foundation reports we've discussed, you can find links to both on our website at stlonair.show. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.